we really feel blessed already to be and to see so many familiar faces as well. You know, even in the morning prayer, when you guys get together, it is such a blessing to see that, Pastor. And I want to encourage that you continue doing that. It really is an amazing time. And even if we were to leave now, I think we would leave full. We feel the presence of Jesus Christ here with us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I don't know about you, I felt his presence during the worship. That is an amazing, amazing privilege. So yeah, I'll share a little bit. Um, thank you very much for having us. And, and as John said, we've gone clo- grown close to John and Helena over the last couple of years in expedited fashion. And, and our prayer, and it's not just us, it's Pastor Dion as well at uh, Three Mile Cross and Pastor Paul Williams at Wolverhampton. Shalom. And I pray that he continues to bind us together with cords that cannot be broken, brother. Um, and it's a wonderful privilege to be here with you. So a little bit of our testimony, then I'm going to pray and we'll go into the word today. Um, I love that song we sang where it said, You found me bleeding on the road to Jericho. Mm. And me and Krishna were certainly bleeding. So I was an ex-drug addict, Krishna was an ex-alcoholic. And the Lord found us and fixed us, our mended our broken wings, and we fly because of him this morning. Um, it, is a, it is a miracle. It is. Amen. He deserves all the glory. Amen. In fact, Karishma particularly was told she had pretty much two weeks to live. And she was yeah, in ICU in UCLH Hospital. And uh, it was an amazing moment when the surgeon turned to me. It was a seven-hour or six-hour operation for pancreatitis. And he'd explained to me that it's really complex. I'm going to have to remove her stomach and put the organs aside and then get to the pancreas. I'm wondering why is he going into such graphic detail? This is not what I want to be hearing here. While my wife, or my future wife at the time, she wasn't my wife, is about to fall into a coma because she's under anesthetic. So I was there in the room to watch this. And uh, he then, once Krishna had lost consciousness, turned to me and said, I hear you're a believer. So, you know, I was an Orthodox, I wasn't really a, a believer, but Krishna had said the name Jesus a few times during conversation, and he said, now's the time to go and pray to your God. <laughs> what a strange thing to say to me, you're a doctor, I thought you relied on science. <laughs> and it put the fear of God in me, and I ran downstairs, I'll never forget it, because I could have taken the lift, I ran three or four stores to the, to- to the toilet in UCLH Warren Street, Burst in, I don't even remember, I know there was some sort of puddle on the floor, I dare not think what it is now. (laughs) I got on my knees and I screamed and I said, Father, if you're there, I need you to save my girlfriend. There are three possibilities to this operation, the third I dare not even say. But if you come through on this, I will walk and talk for you, I will pour out my life for you. And what I didn't know at that time was that I was making a covenant with a covenant-keeping God. And praise God, you see seven years later, a woman of virtue rocking her child, or our child, mother of two. And he came through. He came through. And man, I forgot my deal, my end of the bargain. Two years later, I was reminded by the pastor um, of the church we were at in Southall, you know, would you like to preach? And it was like that memory came back. Remember your end of the bargain, Thomas. And, you know, we, we, we really got to give him all the glory because, you know, we decided to start Do You Know Him in our homes. 
Because when I read the scripture, I thought, well, there's nothing stopping us doing this at home. In fact, the first churches were at home, and we started at my parents' house with just the three of us. And today, not that it's about numbers, we average from 15 to 30. There are many folk here, Vanessa, Piera, and others, who come along on a Thursday, and it is a wonderful, wonderful time in the Lord. John has preached there, Pastor John, and it is about, especially in these times, as the dark grows darker and the night comes in, how long we have left in terms of daylight is minimal. Yeah. We hear of street preachers being arrested now. I don't know if you heard about David Lynn this week. He's been arrested in Canada, Ontario. He's been taken away and he's been told that he is not allowed anywhere near any pride events. So they've banned him from pride events. And so the, the night is coming in. And I think specifically now, more than ever, we need to cling on to our intimacy Amen. with our Christ. As the night draws in and the invitation to compromise and persecution arises, our intimacy with our Lord is more crucial and critical than ever before. Amen. It is the oil in our lamps. So we praise God for that. Shall we bow our heads in prayer and we're going to that? Spirit divine, oh, quicken me now. Whilst in thy presence, humbly we bow. Set our hearts ablaze with thy love. Teach us thy word from heaven above. Oh, Father, we thank you for the breath of life this morning. Abba, we come to you, Lord, recognizing that we weren't entitled to the very breath that fills our lungs this morning. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord. We praise you for the breath of life. And, Father, we believe that you are here today, Lord. And we ask that now you would work your work amongst us. Oh, Lord, would you take us back to our first love, Father? Let it not be our portion that we hear the words you left your first love, my God. So, Father, I ask you now to use me, my Lord. Father, let me decrease and let every word or syllable uttered be for your glory and your glory alone, Father. Father, I pray that you would now show your power, Father, through your word, your everlasting word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will remain, Father. I thank you for preserving this word, my God. I thank you for this church that you have, Lord. Many have been called and few are chosen. And Father, I thank you that you have transcribed our names into the book of life. Hallelujah, Hallelujah my Lord. So Father, we now rely wholly on you. We don't lean on our own understanding, my God, but trust wholly in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, I'm not used to wearing one of these. And I try, I try this whenever I do it. Can you hear that? So can someone tell me what sound I'm making? I get that every time. So that's something I can do, right? An impression of a heartbeat. So the heartbeat sound is actually not a heartbeat. Um, today, or last night, on planet Earth, 150,000 people passed away roughly, give or take. That's a statistic. 150,000 people <sighs> drew their last breath and passed away. Now, initially, I thought it was a lot more when someone asked me, how many people do you think die every day? But it's 150,000, give or take. And if you do the math, 
and take it to a 24-hour clock and then 60 minutes each hour and 60 seconds each minute. It's actually two every second. Leaving Earth. Don't do that. The worshippers are telling me not to do that. <clears throat> that is a thought that should bring the fear of God upon you. That every second, two are passing away. And how many of those two know the Lord? We should be broken. And while we have breath, we should praise the Lord. Amen. That he has sustained us in the land of the living. He allowed us to walk in through that door today and praise and worship. That's an amazing thought. It's awesome. It's inspiring. And it ought to keep us grounded. The next day is not given unto us. It is by his mercy. And his mercy alone. So what do you ought to do with this day that he's given us? This is the day that the Lord has made. What can we do? What can we possibly do? We hear the songwriter, Ben, if the whole realm of nature was mine, that would still be a gift far too small. Isn't that an amazing lyric? Love so amazing, so divine. If we had the whole universe to wrap up in a bow and give back to Christ or back to our God for what he has done, it wouldn't be enough. So what can we do but pour out our lives once again? The title for today, for those of you who are taking notes, is Gardens of Sorrow. Gardens of Sorrow. And I want to touch on creation. You know, as preachers, we'll tell you that you want to hear affirmation. You've brought a word and you want to hear it's of God. And you're always listening out or seeing signs that would say, yep, that person has said this verse that's in my sermon. And you're always continually looking for it. And today... I believe one gentleman recited Isaiah 53 and then proceeded to pray. Pretty much my sermon was in those five minutes. I can actually walk away from this lectern. It was literally word for word the message I want to bring here. And I praise God for affirmation. I praise God for his confirmation. And his confirmation is in his word. And through your prayer, I'm confirmed what our Father has to say to his church. To his bride this morning. So why am I looking at creation? Well, I believe it's such a miraculous and marvelous moment in history that I certainly don't often look back at it enough to almost gird my loins and remind myself how big a God we serve, how powerful a God we serve. We say the words Adonai, a being who nature has to obey. Elohim, the God who through his word alone was able to make this universe jump up into existence. Through his word, he didn't lift one finger. And sometimes we ought to just go back there to just remind myself because sometimes we think, I've got this problem, Lord, I'm not sure if you can handle this one. But one look at the vastness of his universe aligns us back into, this is the God I serve. Now, I've written down here, we often will get people challenging more and more these days, creationism. They're talking about evolution. They're teaching it in our schools. May the Lord have mercy. And they question our God. 
But actually, I want to exhort all of us today to challenge them back and ask them right now, you believe, Mr. Atheist, that nothing created something. So when they look upon us as daft with our faith, we challenge them back and say, well, we believe a God who stands out of time created this. At this moment, you believe that something came from nothing. So who is the daft one? One has to ask the question. And they will often ask questions such as, look around you. Do you really believe all this was made in seven days? Seven 24-hour clock days? Hands up who's heard that one. Our answer should be unequivocally, no, we don't believe that. We believe it was done in six and he rested on the seventh. <laughs> and smile at them. That shows faith. They will be stunned by that faith. He did it in six days. And he rested on the seventh. This wonderful creator of ours who wants to be personal with us. That is the chasm, a mind or a gap that Einstein failed to make the leap. He agreed. He said, look, anyone who doesn't agree that there is a designer between this universe with the mathematics involved is preposterous. He said there is a designer. There is an intelligent being behind this. I have no doubt about that. That's Albert Einstein. He said, what I refuse to believe is that that designer wants a personal relationship with me. Isn't that amazing? It's interesting that it's that thought that stopped him. But we know that he does want a relationship with us. We know that he fellowship with us this morning. Praise God. Blessed be the Lord. Bless his holy name and all that is within me. Bless him. full of power. Creation is not just, it's the fact that he's also preserved how he did it for us in his word. Not only is the creator, he then used his servant to preserve how it happened in his word for us. Psalm 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The saints of old got this. Whenever they were feeling dull, I would imagine sometimes uninspired, they would just remind themselves of creation and they would bring forth verses like this in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heavens of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is on them. You give life to all of them. And the heavenly hosts bow down before you. He's looking at the universe, Nehemiah, and he must be saying this to us today to remind us, look, the host, the starry hosts, Bow down to its creator. The psalmist says we have a star-breathing God. The nursery rhyme somewhat brings it down a little bit when it says twinkle, twinkle, little star. These hosts aren't little. They might be twinkling. They are not little. Our sun alone, which is a star, you should know, has the capacity to take a million earths. We see it shining up there. Remember, this big ball burning furnace can take a million earths in its size. That's pretty phenomenal. And if the earth was a golf ball, that's a school bus full of golf balls. That's not even the biggest star, no way near the biggest star in our cosmos. The biggest one discovered in the Greek is Canis Majoris. Trillions of earths. So I can't even go down the number, but to help you, Anna, 
analyze or an analogy to understand how big Canis Majoris is. If the earth was a golf ball, you'd have to go up to the top of Mount Everest. The earth would be that golf ball, and Mount Everest would be that star. This is the expanse of the universe. We look at this to realign. Psalmist, in Psalm 148, verses 5 to 13, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He has also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and cloud, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and hills, fruit trees and cedars, beasts and cattle. And it goes on. For good reading, please read the whole of Psalm 148 when you get home. I want to just close our little time in creation at Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. The Apostle Paul is telling us, look, if anyone challenges you, just tell them to look one look at a leaf once again. Analyze the leaf. Analyze creation. And he says, no man will come to the eternal throne of grace and be able to look at the ancient of days with a suitable enough excuse. Why? Because creation itself speaks of its creator. Amen? It really encouraged me, and I wanted to share that with you. So we are going to read for our text today is Genesis 3. Our text from the Old Testament will be Genesis 3. I'm going to read from verse 8. In fact, I'm going to read from the beginning. And we'll pause at verse 9. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman, Ye hath God said, Ye shall not eat every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And then the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden." We'll pause there. So we've touched on the backdrop of what's happened the last two chapters before this very sorrowful moment. That's why the name and the title today is Gardens of Sorrow, because we're going to travel from this garden nearly 6,000 years ago, or uh, over 6,000 years ago, rather. We're going to look at the Garden of Eden, what's happening here, and we're going to look at the Garden of Gethsemane. 
and we're going to see some common ground that ought to inspire us and exhort us to throw ourselves back at the feet of Christ and be intimate with him once more. There is common ground. There is sorrow. What a deeply sorrowful moment this is when mankind falls. This ought to break our hearts. But who is this walking in the garden? Walking in the garden. Well, let's read 1 John. I'm going to read the first three verses. Sorry, John, the book of John, chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 4, and then I'm going to jump to 14, because I hope all of you know this scripture. Some of you, I dare say, might even know it off by heart after I heard the recital this morning. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things, this is what I want us to focus on, all things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was the life, and the life was the light of men. We go to verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory and the glory of the only begotten of Father, of the Father, full of grace and of truth. If we go to 1 Colossians 13 to 17, can somebody please read 1 Colossians? We just want to identify who is this walking in the garden. 1 Colossians you could read 13 to 17 that'd be great Amen. So for me, it is the second member of the Godhead walking in the cool of the day. And he has this feeling. And he says, wherefore art thou Adam? Why is he asking this question? Why would an omniscient being ask a question Holy hide-and-seek is not a good idea with an omniscient being. (laughs) Is the pre-incarnate Christ puzzled? Has their camouflage and fig leaves fooled him? No. We ought to study a little bit as to why he's asking this question. I've put down here three reasons that he's asked this question. The first is to awake man's consciousness to the state of their condition. To awake Adam's, in this case, consciousness to the state of their condition. 
in essence, a wake-up call. I wonder whether some of us, me included, need to hear those words. Where are you? Whether it's your evening devotion or your morning devotion where it's meant to be just you and him. Does that question come back with an empty answer? Where are you, John? Where are you, Thomas? I wonder if that question is still being asked. But it's a wake-up call. Number two, it is a question of conviction designed to convince Adam of his sin. Convict him of his wrongdoing and also lead him to a confession. And we know this pre-incarnate Christ, rather, the way he questions is also seen in the Gospels. Remember the ten lepers? When only nine came back? It's, it's a way of convicting. I mean, I feel sorry for the disciples because many a time they were at the wrong end of that. Were there not nine who were healed? Where are they? You can imagine the disciples trembling. I don't know. You're God Almighty. You know why are you asking me these questions? So it's a, it's a similar thing. He's asking, where are you, Adam? He wants to bring about the confession that you read on later on. But rather sadly, what do we see in that confession? The blame game. Beginneth. My King James says, beginneth. John. Adam, have you eaten? It wasn't me, Lord. It was that woman you gave me. So he's not even blaming Eve. I mean, I thought practically he was blaming, you know, like we all do sometimes, we blame our wives. But Adam audaciously is not blaming Eve. He's saying the woman you gave me, if you hadn't given it to me. And when he looks at Eve, what does Eve say? Not me, the serpent. And I just thought to myself, in the garden of our prayer lives, I'm the same sometimes. Oh, my Ezekiel's, it's been a tough night, Lord. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow night. I'm taking a break tonight. Just one break of a day from my intimacy with Christ. And I tell you, the temptations of the world start knocking harder. Just one night is enough. And, and we do the same. Not tonight, Lord, for X, Y, Z reasons. Never us. We never take accountability. Well, today, let's take accountability. It is our fault that we don't spend time with the person who gave us the breath of life this morning. If it is just for that reason alone, we get into our evening closet, say, thank you for keeping me in the land of the living. But of course, all of us here have much more to thank him for than just breath. We have everything. Especially in this Western world, we have clothes and phones and TV. We have everything we desire and more, getting us to a place of somewhat conscious, maybe not we're depending on the Lord anymore. So even more critical, we remind ourselves that all of what we have is of no merit of our own and can be taken away at any given moment. He would still be God and sovereign and God alone, including our families. Third reason. He's asking this question, seeking and searching. Not one that is aimed to find Adam's location, as we know it's not a good idea to play hide and seek with Christ. But one to make him aware. The example is like a lighthouse. It does look for a ship. The lighthouse rather does look for a ship, but is there to make the ship aware of the condition it's in. It's there to like you know what condition you're in. 
The fourth reason I haven't put in there, the fourth, I believe, is because it was from the cry of a broken-hearted creator. And this is the first common pillar that we have in the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. Intimacy. In Genesis 2, verse 7, it says there, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Can you picture that moment for a second? He's there, our pre-incarnate Christ, breathing life into the nostrils of this clay being. And as Adam opened his eyes, who does he see? He sees his maker. Isn't that amazing? That's intimacy. And he walked with him and he talked with him and he gave him dominion over the animals and he was the darling of heaven of all the creatures ever made. And here he is in this moment. He's saying, every evening we used to walk together but today, Adam, wherefore art thou? I believe the rings of Saturn would have trembled. I believe this universe would have stood in awe at this moment in history where the Creator is asking, broken-hearted, where are you today? What have you done? What have you done? We know what he says. We know his judgment. He's a righteous God. And he says, you're not going to be in this garden anymore. And you can read on yourselves as to how he deals with Adam and then Eve and then the serpent. But in verse 21, we see him remember mercy in his wrath. In his judgment, he remembers mercy. He made coats of tunics, my Bible says, and certain Bibles says coats of animals. Isn't that amazing? Despite... Being betrayed by his creation. It is a betrayal. I told you not to touch. It's betrayal. You'll see it in the Garden of Gethsemane too. There are common grounds here. This is betrayal. He's heartbroken, but in the middle, he remembers mercy. And he kills two animals for them. They wouldn't have seen death up until that point. That was their first experience of death. They needed to understand the consequence of their sin. They saw blood spilt. And coat skins made. Yes, there would have been a physical reason for it. As nature fell, they would have needed covering for their clothing. But spiritually, they were also told right then and there, this animal sacrifice will atone for the time being what you've done. Praise God. Today, of course, we have the righteous robes of Jesus Christ. We don't need animal skins. Amen. It is the blood of Christ, the ultimate sacrifice that's been paid, but we wear the robes of his righteousness. That's amazing. Now we're going to travel 4,000 years into another garden in Israel, the Garden of Gethsemane. This account in Gethsemane is in all four Gospels, and I urge you to read this if you get time at home tonight. We're going to read from Mark, which is in four, chapter 14, 26 to 50, but it's also in Matthew 26 and Luke 22. It's also in John. I haven't written it there, but it's also in the book of John. Someone is saying it now. But we're going to read from Mark, which is Mark 
chapter 14. Verse 26. I'm going to read from verse 26 through to verse 50. Mark chapter 14, verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen. I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake with more vehemently, I should not, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit ye here while I pray. And he taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be sore, amazed, and to be very heavy. And he saith unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forth a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not that I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them asleep, and saith to Peter, Simon, Sleepest thou? Could not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time, and saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest, it is enough. The hour is come, behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go, lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. And immediately, while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, with him, a great multitude with swords and staves, and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him, had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goes straight away to him, and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and ye took me not, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And they took, and they all forsook him and fled. That last verse broke my heart. It was all alone. In those final moments, they all forsook him. Friends, brothers and sisters, we ought to look at this account of Gethsemane in much more detail. We see a glimpse 
of our Savior's heart. So far in his ministry, he's taken everything in his stride. He's healed the sick. He's opened the eyes of the blind. Miracle after miracle. And yet here he is asking the Father, can you take this cup from me? Now all four accounts give us a variety of extra context and background. I believe in Luke, an angel comes to minister to him. We know that in in John, I believe, when they come and ask, who is Jesus? And he says, I am he. They all fall down. These are accounts that are so supernatural, full of power and event that we should search and seek these accounts. And the cup. What's in the cup? What is in the cup? Some say it's the undefiled wrath of Almighty God. I don't see any clear scriptures. I'm open. If someone can show me afterwards. Some say it's the cup of sorrow. We're not going to focus on the particulars of that right now other than to know that he was indeed a man of sorrows. So we have the intimacy in the Garden of Eden. And now we see the intimacy of Christ with the Father. Jesus used to slip away to spend time. Such was the importance of his prayer life. And here he is, seeking the Father, seeking him out. Well, what is in the cup? We can touch on it a little bit. Some people say the wrath of God. And, but one would then argue when James and John were positioning for who could be on his left and right hand side, that's the other time we see Jesus using the phrase cup. He says, are you willing to drink from the cup? And are you willing to be baptized of my baptism? To which they say yes, and he agrees. He says, you will drink from my cup. Can that be the wrath of God? Poor James and John. One would think not, but this sorrow made him drop sweat drops of blood. But in the intimacy, he found obedience. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Let's travel back 4,000 years again. Had Adam consulted his counsellor, would he have fallen? His intimacy must have dropped because he took the counsel of his wife. He didn't go to the Father. But here is Jesus coming straight to the Father. And he finds obedience. And it's the same for us in our intimacy. It's the same for us when we spend time in the night and in the morning with him. He reminds us, you are mine. I have chosen you. You ought to be holy as I am holy. And you set aside one hour in the evening. No one is going to disturb me from making time with my maker. I'm going to set this hour apart tonight. And I'm going to, if it means reading Psalms and exhorting myself to a place where I can pray and meditate and have fellowship with Christ, then I'm going to do it because my obedience depends on it. And whilst we can muster up some element of obedience for a little while, if you slip away from your prayer life, it won't take long, brothers or sisters, before the enemy of your soul will tempt you. And we're here. That's what happened to the disciples. Now one version of this account says the disciples were sleeping due to sorrow. But they were asleep. 
three hours that prayer was. They were asleep. And I wondered to myself, is his bride asleep this morning? Is the church asleep? Certainly not here. I praise God when we felt his presence here and I see what's going on here. But you know what I'm talking about. Is she asleep? So we come to the conclusion. What is the message today? Well, it's very basic. Get back to the feet of Jesus Christ. Survey the cross once more. It is a warning as well. Because if you don't, then the result could be disastrous. How do I know that? Let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It doesn't say, away from me, you never did enough sermons. Away from me, you didn't preach evangelical outreach enough. Away from me, you didn't sing enough songs. Away from me, I never knew you. This is to a group of believers, because they prayed in his name. The fear of God should be coming upon us right now. Because he has provided a way with his own blood that we can now once again approach the throne of grace that's why I didn't want to ponder too much on the cup. Because if we ponder too much on the cup being the wrath and that moment of drinking it, being the atonement. No, what happened on the cross? Because it's the blood of Jesus that saves. It's the blood that redeems. So we don't want to overdo one element of this. The blood of Jesus Christ allows us to once again approach the throne of grace. When on the cross, he would have put the hand of man and said, Back to the Father. It is done. Reconnected. You can now have fellowship once again. Every evening with the maker of heaven and earth. He will come to you. You draw near to him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that opportunity? The platform, the sacrifice that it took. We won't know this side of glory exactly how much it cost. But we know that he accomplished it in its fullness. And he said, it is finished. Tonight you have and I have the opportunity to approach the throne of grace. And if we don't, Jesus himself says, away from me I never epignosis you. The Greek have two words to know. 
We only have one to know. They have two. They have gnosis, which is primary level knowledge. That is, I heard John can play the piano well. Great. Kind of know because I trusted my source. Okay, I can say John plays the piano. However, epignosis is coming here and seeing him play. I experienced how good John is at playing the piano. And this particular verse is the word epignosis. Away from me. I never experienced you. Now, friends, it's not a bad thing to go to church, but I tell you, if the risen Christ is saying this, that means your prayer life is of utmost priority. Your personal time with the Word is critical, especially in this day and age. Oh, in this day and age, particularly, fight for it. The kingdom of God is for those who violently take it. Fight for your prayer life. That is my prayer. That is the message for today. I don't want any of us to hear the words away from me. Because I tell you, it will be a frightening phrase to hear. Stamp eternity now on your eyeballs and picture the moment if you hear those words. But oh, if we hear the words, well done. Good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. Good and faithful servant, well done, and inherit everything that is in Christ, my son. They are the words we want to hear. So gardens, Eden, Gethsemane. There is betrayal and sorrow in both. I was going to read Isaiah 53 today, but because you read it out or recited it, sir, I don't need to. Because he was a man of sorrows. Betrayal and sorrow in both, but also intimacy lost and intimacy fixed because the Son of Man came to save that which was lost and he accomplished it. Amen? Amen. So we bow our heads in prayer. Thank you, Father. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? His mystery, oh, the immortal died. Who can explain his design? In vain the first on seraph tries to sound the death. Of love divine, tis mercy, oh, tis mercy, oh, let earth 
let angel minds, let angel minds inquire no more, no more. Tis mercy, let earth adore. Hallelujah. Let angel minds inquire no more. Hallelujah. Long my imprisoned spirit Fast bound in sin and nature's night Thine eye diffused quickening ray I woke the dark Hallelujah! With love, my chains fell off, my chains fell off, my heart was, I rose, I rose when, I rose, forth and forth, hallelujah father, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth Righteousness, Hallelujah. Thank you. Hold I approach the throne and Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can approach this throne boldly, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity that you've carved out with your own hand of salvation, Father, that we could walk towards this throne of grace. So, Father, I pray if anyone here wishes to confess or bring forth that they haven't been where they ought to be, Father, in their prayer life, that they want to return back to their first love, Father, that you would honor that confession, my God. That you would honor that confession and me included, Father. That we would go back to the moment where we first felt your hug. The embrace of our Savior, Father. Set our hearts ablaze once again, Spirit of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, Father, and I stand on your word. That it never comes back void, Lord. So, Father, I pray now. And whomsoever it is, Lord, would want to rededicate their lives to you. Come back to their first love. In Jesus' name.